Here we are, page 347. We're making good progress, it seems. We're very close to the end. There were times in there where we thought we'll never get to yeah. the end. It was going so slow. <laughs> One page of class and you're just getting really, really bogged down in all the details in a fun way. But here we are. We're on this um, chapter, which is 38, Luther Burbank, A Saint Amidst the Roses. And if you missed our last class, you kind of... Uh, Luther Burbank is just a very, very fascinating individual, a personality, and he's made it his life's work to work with plants, primarily flowers, vegetables. And as we were saying, there are hundreds of varieties of peaches and apples and plums and cactus and you know so on and so forth that are kind of named after him the Burbank potatoes the Burbank apples the Burbank sunflower or the other and because he created this way where he crossed uh, many different species together to bring out the best qualities of both of them and so that's been kind of how he sees life and we talked about him uh, addressing children's education from that perspective. All they need is to bring together these qualities, what he would call natural selection of what is right, and then bring them all together. And we left it at this very um, interesting and powerful paragraph where he was talking about the will of a plant and how after kind of incarnations a plant that breeds kind of the next seed, the next seed, it becomes so set in its ways that it's very hard to change it. And he talked about a, a particular palm tree and he said, you know, it's like, it's the human will, he said, appears very weak in front of the will of a plant because you just can't move it, you can't do anything with it. But he says, in time, if you give it the right environment, if you give it love, then the plant begins to allow you to kind of work with it, allow you to redirect it. Mm -hmm. We had a very interesting experience yesterday. <clears throat> a friend of ours, Ishani here, she um, helps us out on all our social media. So if you follow us online and you see all these beautiful uh, reels and uh, posts on Instagram especially, that's a lot of her doing. She, you know, she's been struggling with a computer for a long time. <laughs> And for four years, she's had this computer, which is supposed to be the best in the business, but has been giving her a lot of trouble. <clears throat> so yesterday, she gets a new computer and she brings it over here quite late at night, I might add. <laughs> and we, you know, place it before the altar and we do this special prayer for it. And it was very interesting to kind of connect with the computer and speak to the computer and kind of say, you know, you better behave, behave. this time. <laughs> we don't want the same repeat, but it was interesting in just kind of connecting with something we would consider okay, really inanimate and just put together with wires and circuitry. But it had a personality and you could feel the personality, you could feel the consciousness of the computer and we were just like, all right, I think this one's going to be a good one. <laughs> and so we felt good about it and we offered it to the master and we said, all right, this one's for you. But imagine then you take that a step further and you mm -hmm. put it to the context of a plant then, of course, you take that a step further and you put it in the context of us as humans. And then Luther Burbank wrote this very interesting book, which I read and I recommend to you called The Training of the Human Plant, mm -hmm. where he talks about the similarities between how he works with plants versus how then you can also work with humans and especially children in that way. Anything you want to add before we read? <clears throat> 
<clears throat> I'm going to pick it up just from a few lines all that we've already gone through. So we have a nice context. And he says again, as I uh, said, the human will is a weak thing beside the will of a plant. But see how this whole plant's lifelong stubbornness is broken simply by blending a new life with it, making by crossing a complete and powerful change in its life. And I've really underlined these lines because they're very meaningful to me especially. What he's talking about is you can have somebody who's really set in their ways and you know they're just habituated to being a certain way. And one of the most effective ways to help somebody out of this kind of stubbornness is to give them a different environment, is to bring into their life an influence that's entirely different, very uplifting and we constantly talk about the need for environment. We talk about satsang as in the scriptures it says, after the blessing of a true guru, the next greatest blessing is that of satsang, fellowship of truth seekers all being together. And in my own life, I remember coming to Ananda. You know, I had just finished my college and uh, those weren't very uplifting days for me. You know, college can be a very, 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 uh, <laughs> I don't know, outward and downward experience. And I was in both the outward and the downward as much as was possible. But I had that the longing to live a life that was more meaningful. But when I came to Ananda, the habits of having been so lazy, so complacent, so indifferent, so just in my own world was so set in me, <laughs> that I couldn't meditate, I couldn't do a lot of things that were required, but what changed me was just being in the presence of all these other people. You know, little by little, just being around them, my energy changed, my awareness changed, my bent spine became a straighter spine, and so on and so forth. And then I could start to meditate as well, and then I could start to put energy in the right direction. And that becomes really the first most important thing. If we can cross, if we can bring together, if we can combine the energies of our environment and the influences of others in our lives, that is perhaps the most powerful way. But this doesn't mean that somebody's telling you all the time, you know, I mean, if my mom told me again and again, meditate and meditate, I would most certainly reject it. But when you're in an environment where people are doing that and you're seeing them and you see the light in their eyes and you see the joy on their faces and you're like, boy, I want that as well. Then when the break comes, fix it by these generations of patient supervision and selection. And the new plant sets out upon its new way, never again to return to the old. Its tenacious will broken and changed at last. And this is another interesting point. Then when the break comes, fix it by generations of patient supervision and selection. Of course, we don't have generations yet to work on, but the moment there's an opening, the moment somebody says, all right, I think I'm willing, that's the time you need to go in there and you need to bring some practice that you can repeat over and over again. That's the generations of breeding. Mm -hmm. And then that change comes because environment alone won't change you, but it'll give you the possibility for change. But then the moment that opening exists in your consciousness, the moment I said, all right, I want what they have, what do I need to do? But then I had to act on it as well. When it comes to so sensitive and pliable thing as the nature of a child, the problem becomes vastly easier. 
Well, I would have thought more difficult, yeah, yeah, but yeah, Luther Burbank thinks it's easier. <laughs> Magnetically drawn to this great American, I visited him again and again. This is Yogananda saying this. Do you have anything to make? I'm going on a little bit. No, just that very line that I don't know if you have noticed. I mean, the moment that Yogananda go to America, there is only this chapter really about these, you know, 15 years that he has spent in America. And there, I'm sure there was so much he could share in this book about his time in America. And there is only one chapter, actually two. <laughs> I go to America and in that chapter he explains how he receives that guidance from Babaji himself and he plans everything and he arranges things. And then the next chapter is an American saint. And that's the soul that Luther Burbank that really impacted him the most at that time. And he dedicates a whole chapter about him, his work, his state of consciousness. Luther Burbank received Christianization, and we will go through this. He had already such a refined consciousness. And let's remember that Yogananda visited many saints in his childhood. So he had a magnetism not only to attract saints into his life, but to recognize a state of consciousness highly evolved for him to want to spend time in his presence, to absorb from that environment. And it implies here that Luther Burbank had that vibrational field that made Yogananda visited him again and again and again. So, would be nice to read a little bit more about his biography, his work, his lifestyle, because he had something that Yogananda wanted to be in his presence quite often. And, and I find this quite unusual for Yogananda to feel, I, I want to receive a darshan almost. I want to be in his presence. I want to see how he channels the consciousness of love, how, how, he, how he does this that is so in tune with my teachings. And uh, quite beautiful to see that uh, the kind of friendships, the saintly friendships that Yogananda found in America. And Luther Burbank definitely was someone very, very dear to his heart that perhaps we should start giving a little bit more yeah, attention never, or, never talk of him. Yeah, or acknowledgement about his work and see the similarities of what Yogananda was, was trying to accomplish with children and consciousness. I'm reminded of another kind of saintly person. Many people, in fact, call him a saint. Uh, in America, he was African-American. I think his name was George Washington Carver. Mm -hmm. And he did amazing work with the peanut. Does anybody remember? I believe he like came up with 1,000 different ways the peanut can be used, you know, just like P 
peanut oil, peanut butter. I mean, a lot of things that we work with today with the peanut is all thanks to George Washington Carver. And he was a slave who just was emancipated. And so he didn't know how the African-American slaves would take care of themselves. You know, they'd been cotton pickers all their life. They didn't have any other way to have, uh, you know, income. So he just heard one day God whisper in his ear that look to the peanut. And he went so deep into the peanut that he was able to draw from it a thousand or whatever it was, different ways that that peanut could be used. And he helped an entire section of all these freed slaves to build a life for them based on that peanut. So you just have no idea how and where God's going to place us and how deeply. And you see a saint to a certain degree is a somebody who is listening not imposing, oh, I need this and I want this and let me see. Listening and then taking one thing and then going very deep into it. You know, we like I want to do this, I want to do this, now I'm tired of this. Oh, this is too monotonous for me. And so we're always just skimming the surface of absolutely everything. But these great souls, they just take this one thing and then they go as deep as they possibly can. And even then they say, I haven't yet found the end, that there's still so much more to experience. Just a few days ago, I was reading a book uh, by Swami Kriyananda, which is titled Space, Light and Harmony. It's about houses and the consciousness in which a house should be built. And he also was talking about the arts and the paintings and the colors that we could use to make a home really uplifting so it can influence our creativity, our decision making and so forth. So there is a line there where Swami Kriyananda was talking about arts and, and people who have developed that genius in arts and he said that the secret is that everyone who has a talent starts perfecting it. And it reminds me to what you were saying yeah. right now. Many of us are good at something, but we don't invest enough time to perfect it. And, and I think that was something that struck me like, wow, it's not about doing the same thing again and again. It's about doing it daily a bit better and a bit better and a bit better until we develop that consciousness of perfection that is so in tune with God's creativity, God's beauty, that that makes us unique. That what's make the dif what makes the difference between you and I, that I have perfected my God-given gift. And it doesn't need to be a specific skill. It can be, you know, an attitude that you have, an attitude of generosity, kindness, friendship. I mean, can you imagine that also can be, needs to be perfected and let that speak louder even than your outward um, skills. So anyway, the, the ability to perfect and go deep and at the heart of every sub subject and every um, attitude within us. I'm going to try the cashew nut. Try that and see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Everybody get ready.
Magnetically drawn to this great American, I visited him again and again. One morning, I arrived at the same time as the postman who deposited in Burbank study about a thousand letters. Horticulturists wrote him from all parts of the world. Swamiji, your presence is just the excuse I need to get out into the garden, Luther said gaily. He opened a large desk drawer containing hundreds of travel folders. See, he said, this is how I do my traveling. Tied down by my plants and correspondence, I satisfy my desire for foreign lands by a glance now and then at these pictures. You know, so some of us would say, oh, too bad because he's tied down. He can't do all these other things. He can't travel. He can't, you know, enjoy life. But he's just so joyful in what he's doing. All he needs to do, all right, look at a photo here. I've been to Egypt. <laughs> I look at a photo here. I've been to wherever else next. And that's it because what, I'm, what I need, I'm receiving exactly okay. where I am. My car was standing before the gate. Luther and I drove along the streets of the little town its gardens bright with his own varieties of Santa Rosa, peach blow, and Burbank roses. My friend Henry Ford and I believe in the ancient theory of reincarnation, Luther told me. It sheds light on the aspects of life otherwise inexplicable. Memory is not a test of truth. Just because man fails to remember his past lives does not prove he never had them. Memory is blank concerning his womb life and infancy too, but he probably passed through them, he chuckled. It's an interesting thought, isn't yeah. it, about memory? I mean, reincarnation is such a hotly debated subject. I mean, in general, in India, there's this acceptance of it, but nobody's really thinking about it. It's not like I live my life thinking about reincarnation all the time. It's like, Hoga, you know, that's what I've heard and that's what I've read and that's what my parents told me. But hey, I don't particularly, it doesn't matter to me. But the idea of reincarnation is such a crucial part of how, how we can live our lives because it just, it means that every action continues to create consequences far, far, far out into the future. So then you become really responsible. You say, wait a minute, I don't want any of what I'm doing to later on have to be lived in this particular way. Every thought I think, every word I speak, every glance I give, every intention I hold, everything is sent out into the universe later to be responded to. So reincarnation is a very kind of important aspect of how and why some of these realities, some of these attitudes, some of these things that we're talking about become so crucial in our life, that perfection that we're trying to find but then it's interesting about memory because none of us remember, <laughs> you know. Uh, Yogananda Ji would say it's one of God's greatest mercies that he allows us to forget after each incarnation, thereby us not carrying the burden <laughs> of many <laughs> not so good things that we may have done. I mean, imagine if you kind of carried thousands and thousands of incarnations of memory, it just would weigh so heavily. It feels like, ah, oh, you know, it's a clean slate. I can do whatever I want right now. And it just gives us a little bit more freedom and we're not so defined by the past each time.
I was reminding, I mean, remembering right now a joke that Naya Swami Devi once said, we have two of our friends here that are about to get married. And got this, married. Got married. And right. this is a very good advice. Uh, someone asked her, what's the secret of your marriage after so many years together? And he said, she like, said. she said, what was that answer? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Short memory. Short memory, oh yeah. <laughs> and that's a super fun way to think about. Just don't, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost... Forgetfulness, forgetfulness is a good idea. Don't, don't write down all the things that you do to each other, you know, the date, the timing, and which part of the house he You said were in this. the living room at the time and you said this. <laughs> So anyway, those. Another fun story from Nayaswami Devarshi, I remember of memory. He said that in this something, um, an experiment his English teacher did mm -hmm. when he, they were in school or college or something. And he said that um, this teacher was in the lecture, all the class students were in the class and the teacher was going about it. And then suddenly another of the faculty member comes in and they start fighting, both these teachers in front. And one guy's throwing these books at him. I mean, just like a big commotion and then suddenly they stop and this teacher leaves and then the fact the main professor says all right everybody you all saw what happened i want you to write down what you saw and everybody wrote it differently <laughs> someone said he instigated it someone said no he had instigated it like no he came in and he said the first word and it was just how unreliable memory is because you've got 20 for 30 50 people seeing the exact same thing it's not like just moments before them and that's it and everybody has their own version of what that truth was so indeed memory is unreliable so that forgetfulness is a good idea a great scientist had received kriya initiation during one of my earlier visits i practiced the technique devoutly swamiji he said after many thoughtful questions to me about various aspects of yoga, Luther remarked slowly, The East indeed possesses immense hordes of knowledge which the West has scarcely begun to explore. Intimate communion with nature, who unlocked to him many of her jealously guarded secrets, had given Burbank a boundless spiritual reverence. Sometimes I feel very close to the infinite power, he confided shyly. His sensitive, beautifully modeled face lit with his memories. Then I have been able to heal sick persons around me, as well as many ailing plants. Again, a very mm, beautiful, yeah. you know, it's not like, and I learned a technique and I figured out just what the healing modalities are. And I just took this class on theta healing and, you know, Nowadays, we've just got these 600 different, you know, versions of healing, which probably there's only one way to heal, but there are 600 different ways to come at it, which I'm sure is appropriate. But here Burbank just talks about, I just get in tune with nature. Suddenly I feel her infinite power flowing through me. And then whoever is around me, just getting healed. I don't even put out the intention. It's not like I'm saying, oh, you have this problem, Chalo. Let me do this. Oh, you have this problem. And around me, sick people are getting healed, my plants start getting healed, and that's it, just because 
I get in touch with that infinite power. This could be a good thing to practice when he says intimate communion with nature. Mm. How many of us go to a park or to the water or to a plant and just sit next to it and listen and communion and absorb the wisdom from a tree or, or, or connect with earth. How many of us walk barefoot on earth, on the grass? How many of us make a point once a week to have that intimate communion with nature? Where, where I'm in silence and I'm only receiving from that cosmic intelligence that comes through nature. And I think if we want to start finding more inner peace in our lives, more balance, a state of stillness, more harmony with the world around us, we need to integrate this in our lives. There is a big disconnection between Mother Earth and us. So let's think seriously how we are going to do this in 2022. Let this perhaps be a resolution in your life. I need to make a point to unite myself with God's creation. I need to create a link, a bridge between my center and God's center through nature. You may need to start perhaps having more plants at home, interacting more with that aspect of creation that we are constantly not only neglecting, we are abusing it. We are just taken without thinking, you know, the implications of that consciousness of just taking, misusing, mistreating, and enough. And it will start from you, from me, from all of us. So take this seriously. Uh, become an example, a living example of you know, I want to live more in harmony, not just with my husband, but with God's creation. How I'm going to do that? Let me start by going to nature and attuning myself to that invisible, unlimited power. I, I don't know, but Shurjo and I, since we moved from the city to this ashram, and we are closer to nature, nature, walking more barefoot on the grass, having our meals outdoors. We feel so much more healthy. I mean, it has created an impact in our consciousness, in our relationship with our own bodies, with our own lifestyle. Uh, please, try it. Try it and see if this also will reduce a lot of your psychological stress that is permanently in our system. Nature heals. And this is a truth, this is a fact. Nature heals. Trying to find your way to, to develop that connection. 
He told me of his mother, a sincere Christian, and said many times after her death, I have been blessed by her appearances in visions, and she has spoken to me. As our friendship grew deeper, I called Burbank my American saint. Behold a man, I quoted, in whom there is no guile. His heart was fathomlessly deep, long acquainted with humility, patience, and sacrifice. His little home amidst the roses was austerely simple. He knew the worthlessness of luxury and the joy of few possessions. The modesty with which he wore his scientific fame repeatedly reminded me of the trees that bend low with the burden of ripening fruits. It is the barren tree that lifts its head high in an empty boast. How beautiful, so yes. beautifully poetic and just the leaves image. you with this yeah. image, you know, just only a full and just a, maybe fill, filled with fruit to give that tree kind of by the weight of that offering bends low and that tree that has nothing on it it sits up nice and tall and high i like the last word with its head high in mm. an empty yes. boast mm. i was in new york when in 1926 my dear friend passed away so they knew each other very very well, there was a very Same short, short time master landed in america in 1920 20. but he was in Boston and, you know, that side of the East Coast for the first four years, three years. He moved to Los, Los Angeles, Angeles only in 1925. Mm -hmm. So that was just one year of acquaintance. But again, as Narayani said, imagine that, just one year of knowing somebody, but being so inspired by them, dedicating their most important work yeah, to, to them. And then, of course, wanting to talk and share so much about them. There are some people in our lives like that, aren't they? Just meet them just shortly, have a momentary yes, interaction yeah. with them, but they leave such a lasting influence and impression. Where is he? Mm. Oh, in and tears I thought, oh, I would gladly walk all the way from here to Santa Rosa for one more glimpse of him. Locking myself away from secretaries and visitors, I spent the next 24 hours in seclusion. The following day, I conducted a Vedic memorial rite around a large picture of Luther. A group of my American students, garbed in Hindu ceremonial clothes, chanted the ancient hymns as an offering was made of flowers, water and fire, symbols of the bodily elements and their release into the infinite source. Though the form of Burbank lies in Santa Rosa under a Lebanon cedar that he planted years ago in his gardens, his soul is enshrined for me in every wide-eyed flower that blooms by the wayside. Withdrawn for a time into the spacious spirit of nature, is that not Luther whispering in her winds, walking her dawns? Again, just another, mm -hmm. these are the moments where you just need to close your eyes for a moment and just feel. Because what Yogananda, you know, in here you just see, he, he puts these things in there that sound just beautiful and poetic, but these are actual experiences, you know, yeah. where he, he sees Luther Burbank in every flower, where he can commune now with Luther Burbank through the beauty of nature. 
And uh, isn't that such a powerful way that Burbank had so much kind of connected and attuned himself to these flowers that in a certain way he became a part of them and that his consciousness will always remain. Imagine that you create a, a, a certain species and then that's it for hundreds and thousands of years that species exists and you are a part of it. <laughs> Nobody, none of us are going to live that long but this, you know, these different kinds of roses and potatoes and tomatoes and whatever it is, they're going to live a long, long time. I was thinking like that, that's the role of a guru really, <laughs> to make of us unique spice species where we just, you know, will have an impact hopefully for the benefit and the upliftment of society. But yeah, it, it takes us, Yogananda describes here Luther Burbank, uh, humility, patience, and sacrifice. And I think these are the three elements for spiritual success. I mean, the humility that we go about, our daily lives, our service to our guru, our inner attunement, our constantly talking to him, to God within us, that patience, steadfast, that commitment to don't give up, don't give up, I have committed to this, I am devoted to this, and then the sacrifice, that means that sometimes we will need to compromise and to set aside some of our likes and dislikes for the benefit of, of a cause, or of something that we believe in. So, I love Luther Burbank. Yeah, <laughs> I just suddenly <laughs> feel like, wow, I just want to get to know this man much more. I yeah. think I can learn so much. I love this Beautiful. last paragraph of our chapter. Did no, you please, want to say please, no, 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 go ahead. It says, his name has now passed into the heritage of common speech, listing Burbank as a transitive verb. So it's no longer a name, but it's become a verb. Mm. And it says, this is how it's, the Webster's New International Dictionary defines it as to cross or graft a plant, hence figuratively, to improve anything as a process or institution by selecting good features and rejecting bad or by adding good features. Isn't that a fun definition yeah. to have to your name? Yes. <laughs> My name means, you know, for the rest of history, everybody's... Burbank means to select the good, reject the bad, and improve anything by adding these good qualities to it. Behold, oh, beloved Burbank, I cried after reading the definition. Now your very name is synonym, synonym is a synonym for goodness. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, yes. that ends chapter 38. We are getting there we're moving through we have 10 15 more minutes so we'll just move on to the next chapter and we're going to be introduced now to another saint mm -hmm. this time saint therese neumann who was the catholic stigmatist so we're going to make our way from america to europe to europe to germany in here there's this little letter that luther burbank has written i'd like just like to read it this is yes. kind of a uh, appeal to others 
to follow these teachings, which is very sweet of him. And the date is pretty much December. We are close We're in December, to that very date. close. December 22nd, 1924, 11 days from now. I have examined the Yogoda system of Swami Yogananda, and in my opinion, it is ideal for training and harmonizing man's physical, mental, and spiritual natures. Swami's aim is to establish how to live schools throughout the world, wherein education will not confine itself to intellectual development alone, but also the training of the body, will, and feelings. Through the Yogoda system of physical, mental, and spiritual unfoldment by simple and scientific methods of concentration and meditation, most of the complex problems of life may be solved, and peace and goodwill come upon earth. The Swami's idea of right education is plain common sense, free from all mysticism and non-practicality. Otherwise, it would not have my approval. <laughs> I am glad to have this opportunity of heartily joining with the Swami in his appeal for international schools on the art of living, which, if established, will come as near to bringing the millennium as anything with which I can be acquainted. I imagine.